Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees. I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe place to grow in God's love. I support refugees because God made us all in God's image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylee named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my Lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries. I'm Kendall Martin, and today we are bringing you a bonus episode. This bonus episode is recording from the webinar on December 13th, the second of a three-part webinar series entitled Walking in Welcome, an Advent series with Episcopal Migration Ministries, co-hosted with the Office of Government Relations. This December 13th webinar is titled One Community's Journey to Welcome, the story of West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry, and offers listeners the opportunity to hear how one interfaith group of local leaders have come together to educate, advocate, and provide welcome to refugees and immigrants. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for today's webinar in the Walking and Welcome Advent series. Today's presentation is One Community's Journey to Welcome, the story of West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry. And we'll get started with some introductions. My name is Allison Duvall, and I'm the manager for church relations and engagement for Episcopal Migration Ministries, coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky. And my name is Lacey Bromell, the Refugee and Immigration Policy Advisor for the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations, coming to you from Washington, D.C. And my name is Kendall Martin, and I'm the Manager for Communications for Episcopal Migration Ministries in Richmond, Virginia. And over to our friends in West Virginia. My name is Lynn Clark. I'm the president of the West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry, and I'm a member of St. John's Episcopal Church. Hi, I am Ibtisam Barazi. I'm the vice president of West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry, and I'm also the vice president of the Islamic Association of West Virginia. And I am Victor Urecki, the communications committee chair for West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry and the rabbi of B'nai Jacob Synagogue. We're honored to have our friends from WBIRM with us today. Rabbi Victor and Lynn, would you please open us in a prayer? Thank you. Almighty God, from the moment our ancestors were first forced to flee home, wandering has been in the Jewish people's DNA. From Abraham to the Jewish people, all of us inheriting the legacy of centuries of crossing from one home to another. As our people became a refugee people, we took on the sacred responsibility to see our story as bound up with the stories of all who continue to wander. God, you've taught us love the stranger as you would love yourself, and we must, more than ever. We must advocate for a world in which the 68 million people who flee for their lives can find protection and a place to call home. We must all stand with those who leave nightmarish situations only to undertake nightmarish journeys. We must speak up when those in power shut the doors of our country to victims of violence and persecution. We must all be dedicated and stay dedicated no matter how challenging. We as Jews know the cost of making any other choice, and we know what happens when people look away. God, may we remember that 
and remember that you taught us that there is no us and there is no them. There are only your children, each deserving the blessings of liberty and justice. Amen. And this is the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow charity. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Thank you both so much for opening us with such moving prayers. It's my great honor and pleasure to introduce to our listening audience, our friends from West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry. And I don't know if all of our um, listeners on the podcast or participants on the webinar attended last week's webinar, but to give you a little bit of framing for what today's conversation will be like, um, I wanna recap very briefly what we talked about on last week's webinar. Last week's webinar was called Mapping the Way, Tools for the Journey. And we talked about three different really important areas of, of work, of organizing, and of action to set us up for today's conversation with our friends in West Virginia. We talked about asset-based community development, positive messaging, and about advocacy. And we're excited to have West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry here with us because they are an amazing and inspirational case study in how you can put into practice asset-based community development principles, how you can really use positive messaging to start to change hearts and minds towards the work of welcome, and how you can put all of that into action with robust advocacy. Um, so very excited to get the conversation started, first on asset-based community development, um, but also where West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry came from. Um, so Lynn and Ibtisam, if you'll help us get today's conversation started, can you tell us how West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry got came together? What motivated you all to, to join together and to take action? Our organization started back in the fall of 2015. Uh, I was seeing the uh, pictures of people walking to Europe from the Middle East due to the Syrian crisis and the, the pictures of uh, children uh, drowned trying to, with their families trying to reach safety. And I asked my husband, is there anything we can do? And he said to talk to Donna Hamra, who is the head of outreach at St. John's. And we talked to the Reverend Marquita Hutchins, our rector, and she said, do everything and anything. And then I contacted you, Allison, and you said you had a webinar that we could show. And 100 people, 100 people showed up for the webinar at St. John's one evening. And we had speakers, that's how I, I met uh, Ibtisam Barazi, and we started meeting. Ibtisam, can you add yeah, to that? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. And the fact is, you know, when Lynn came and asked the question during the, after the webinar, we had a lot of people with the same concern that Lynn and Donna had. We had the questions, 
came up at the time over and over again, especially when they saw that little child, a three-year-old, washed off on the shores of Turkey, trying, who had escaped with his family and trying to reach a safe ground in, I think, in the Greek Isles. And it's what, the question was, what can we all do? Collectively, we were able to start the ball rolling by talking to each other and by yes. communicating with each other. And Allison, when Lynn and I drove up to Lexington and we met you and we listened to everybody's concern and we came back energized to let's start something. Let's start talking to our uh, uh, elected official. Let's start talking to our uh, people of concern. Let's uh, let's get the ball rolling. And pretty soon we found out that it just grew. It just grew. We had a meeting in December of 2015 with our two senators and a representative from the governor's office and also some just some community leaders. Uh, and from there, we began to meet on a more organized basis. We started meeting uh, the second Thursday of the odd months. We, we still have dinner meetings at that time. We uh, then asked uh, Episcopal Migration Ministries if we could go through the process of becoming a refugee resettlement affiliate of Episcopal Migration Ministries. And that involved talking to a lot of government officials. Sometimes that's easy, sometimes they didn't want to talk to us. It is a controversial topic. Uh, we talked to community leaders. We got letters of support from um, the YMCA, from uh, Covenant House, from a free clinic. We got organized. We actually were authorized in December of 2016 to become an affiliate and receive 30 families, but then the political situation changed in Washington and uh, that uh, authorization was, was taken away. So we have... <laughs> continued to work in partnership with uh, the ACLU, with the Islamic Association, with various churches. We have a board of about 16 members, which are a, a broad cross-section of our community. We have continued with scholarship programs for refugees who are living here in West Virginia. We are helping medical students who have fled Syria and are studying in Turkey through the Syrian American um, uh, Medical, Association. Medical Association, SAMS. Uh, so we're, we're continuing on doing what we can do because, as, uh, as you know, the presidential determination is very low and not very many refugees are coming through or, or being resettled. But someday that will change is our hope. And so we want to stay together and, and do what we can. And, and we keep on trying because we not only have uh, reinvented ourselves and established scholarships to help the uh, refugee children who can, who are here in this country, actually in this state, in this city, and are unable to get any kind of scholarship because of their status. But we also continue to communicate outside our churches and synagogue and mosque to open people's mind and hearts and tell them about refugee uh, to reduce the fear that they have of the unknown because they feel <coughs> excuse me because of the fear and the, and the media and all the horrible rhetoric that's going around people are fearing these 
poor immigrants thinking that this is going to be a, a burden. Instead, statistics that was issued by the State Department themselves shows that refugees, when they come to a city, they really do energize the city. They're entrepreneurs, they open businesses, they, uh, uh, they work, they're the best workers. Uh, we in Charleston need workers. We have uh, been uh, losing uh, citizens outside the state continuously. And so we can use a lot of refugees here. A majority of these refugees are drug free. So employers would really, all the employers we talked to, Columbia Gas, the Embassy Suite, and other employers were more than open and welcome to hire refugees. As you know, they work all kinds of jobs. Yes, and we do, we have a PowerPoint presentation that we take to community groups, uh, churches, anyone who will listen to us so that we can answer people's questions. People often ask, are refugees safe? And we have information about the vetting process, how it takes up to two years or more to vet a refugee, how it's five departments of the government. Um, people also ask, uh, will this cost a lot of government money? And we can explain that it's very minimal, uh, that refugees receive uh, very little, but within six months, they're often on their feet tax paying and uh, making the economic engine of the community go forward. So the more good information we can get out, uh, the more uh, we can change hearts and minds. Yes, absolutely. And honestly, all the churches were open to helping with receiving refugees. Donations started pouring in, donation of goods. We even rented a warehouse. We were uh, ready and, 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 and available to furnish these homes. And uh, I think everybody was really seriously anxious to help in somehow. And this provided a, a venue for them to assist others. And as we talk to people and reduce the fear that they have of the, of the notion of what is a refugee and what's an immigrant, and then our hearts started to open. Yes, and I think one of the most important events we had was to have people come and hear refugees tell their story, and we did it at the mosque. And many people have never been inside of a mosque, and I think it really helped for people to get inside and see how beautiful it is, how there's a gym, there's a kitchen, there's a prayer space. Just a normal church. It's just, yes, it is. <laughs> and actually, we had a standing room only. Yes. This is was amazing that people were so hungry for information. Well, it's been so exciting from our vantage point to watch you all organize and to see you come from such a place of, um, it, it was deeply devastating, I think, for all of us when we'd worked so hard together to get Charleston approved, to get WVIRM approved to resettle refugees, and for that to be lost was devastating. But that hasn't, um, that hasn't stopped any of us. In fact, you all continue to build and maintain momentum. You do events, you educate the community, you're always out and about. And a lot of the important work that you do is, is in having conversation and breaking down um, walls that might divide people and really getting to form relationships that are deep within the community. Um, so I'd love to um, transition now to Kendall. Um, Kendall is gonna talk a little bit with Rabbi Victor about the amazing messaging practices that WVRM has used throughout this process and continues to use. So Kendall, over to you to talk about positive messaging. Thank you, Allison. 
Um, first, I just want to say how grateful we are to share this time with you today. Um, it's it's truly been an honor the last couple of years to witness the powerful work of WBRM and all that you all have engaged in. And I would say a definite strength of your group has been your media engagement. Um, you've really been able to harness the power of positive media, especially in the context of advocacy work. Um, and that's certainly something that we'll touch on in your conversation with Lacey. So I want to start off by asking you to speak to how WBRM works in various ways to reframe the narrative around refugees, and specifically how you've engaged the media and organized community events to really uplift the positive stories and contributions of refugees in our communities. Oh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, one of the things that we need to work about, worry about, is reframing the message. And I think um, what I've noticed is whenever we do advocacy work, we don't recognize enough the importance of the power of conversation, the importance of that one-to-one -one communication with people that matter, both in a governmental level, but just the hearts and minds of the average person in the street. Um, if you're in a situation like we are in a small community, everyone knows each other. Everyone has relationships. And I think that's one of the areas that is missing in a lot of advocacy work, we tend to want to scream on the outside as opposed to having conversations with people that we can change on the inside. Um, we gravitate toward the big, the large, the rallies, when it's really the conversations that we have one-on-one -on -one with people. That's the thing that really changes the, moves the needle, if you will. And as you said, it always needs to be positive. We don't punch down. We try to depersonalize it. It's not attacking, but it's more advocating for people that need our help. And I think those are some of the, I guess, the broad brush strokes that um, are important in terms of trying to change the conversation that uh, we hear, unfortunately, across the country. Can I add something? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that we are an interfaith group where Rabbi, uh, and I are seen in Lynn, all three of us are seen together uh, in so many different uh, situation and gathering and uh, it opens people's mind as to the fact that, wait a minute, these uh, people faith have shared message. We share the love of humanity between all three of us. And, but, and even with no faith as well. So we share the love of humanity. It is also opening people's mind that we should not be afraid if a person is Jewish or if a person is Muslim. The fact that he wears a yarmulke and I wear a head cover, it shows people that we are still a human being. We talk to each other. We share a lot in common between us. And actually, the fact that all three of us together in so many different occasions in a conversation and in any setting, it tells people, look at us. We have so much in common between our faith, then we have differences. And the fact that we pray differently, it does, shouldn't matter to anybody. So I think this has been one of the strongest points that we have. And the conversation that we lead uh, has been uh, so much accepted by so many people. 
Yeah, I think uh, getting the personal stories out. Uh, we have some people in the community who were Bosnian refugees. We have people that have been in our community a, a long time who were once refugees, immigrants, and getting the, the personal stories to people to make it real. It's not just statistics, although the statistics are very alarming. Uh, just 65 million displaced persons, 25 million are refugees, and half are children. But to also get the individual stories to people, I think makes it less frightening, more personal, more relatable. And also something that WVIRM has done very successfully is we we don't engage in the chatter of the the, the crazies, if you will, part oh, of the, the expression. Negative, yes. We just don't engage in that. It's not helpful. Um, we end up mudding ourselves. There are so many people, we've noticed that in the year two years, three years that we've started this entire journey, if you will. There are so many people that are good people. They they don't know. They might hear something on television and they're genuinely concerned either economics, uh, safety. We can have a conversation with them. But if we get bogged down by trying to bat down every crazy that has these wild conspiracy theories or talks about Islam in wild ways, we just don't engage that. So whenever we can have a conversation, be it on television, radio, or at a church, which Lynn does tremendous work on, yes. where there are people that are coming out because they, they want to help. They understand America has been about bringing refugees, but they hear this. Well, Lynn can very carefully walk people through in a in a calm fashion without having to defend herself or argue crazy, um, again, conspiracy theories. She can talk to them. That moves the, the conversation forward and also gains an advocate for our cause. Absolutely. Well, in speaking to um, you all's ability to engage with the media and tell personal stories and do interviews, um, what advice would you give for groups who feel a little timid about actually engaging directly with the media or submitting an op-ed or a letter to the editor to speak out in support of refugees? I've found, and I'm maybe uh, Lynn and, and Iftisan could chime in also, I found that the media has been very supportive, very helpful. They want to get the message out, a message out. And again, if we are engaged in a positive fashion, they want to listen. They want us to tell our story. Um, again, I don't, I don't advocate for people if there's a radio show and there's somebody that is absolutely against refugee resettlement. I don't think having that as a back and forth debate is very helpful, but there are so many avenues, both on television, radio, and the newspaper, where they would like you as a representative, WBIRM. Ours is uniquely positioned because we're such a diverse group. We've got a story to tell, and people want to hear that story. Right. So I would not be at all scared about uh, engaging the media nor would I be um, concerned about engaging members of Congress, our state level. They also want to hear that story. There's a lot of them that they just don't know. And they want to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that has been our experience. The media, the newspaper specifically, has been very uh, great asset to us. They have come to the masjid, uh, to the mosque repeatedly. They have written very positive about uh, our group and about the issue of refugees. We didn't do many uh, radio interviews. You did mostly. You've, you've done some. Yeah, you've done some. But 
talking to the legislation and opening their minds and teach them. They really do want to learn. I mean, they don't know the whole story. And so that's been very helpful to us, I think. What do you think? Well, and I, I also want to say, Kendall, you've been a great resource. Sometimes Absolutely. when I'm concerned that someone will twist something that I'm saying, being able to vet things with, with you, Kendall, has really helped. So I, I would encourage people to reach out to Episcopal Migration Ministries for help if you're not sure. I, you know, I have come across reporters that just want me to say something negative, and I want to keep things positive. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say um, I have hope and things like that to, to keep it positive. But I, I think you're a great resource, Kendall, uh, for people writing op-eds. Well, thank you, Len. And I, I certainly think that going into any of those media conversations when you already have what your main talking positive message points are, it helps when they're trying to get you to say something negative, um, which Brings me to my next question, which are, what do you, what core messages do you all try to use when you're trying to, to change hearts and minds when you're engaging with the media? Like, what are your top line messages? Well, I think what Lynn said earlier is we want to humanize the message. People can relate to a story of an individual, a person's journey, the difficulty of the life of a refugee. Um, whenever we use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, uh, a powerful picture with a quote from the Bible is something that is is relatable to everyone. You don't have to get too deep in the weeds. When you do post an article that we get from you, um, those are informative articles. That's the type of message. Um, I'll also add one thing that kind of it, it spins out of this whole messaging is, and I would invite people to remember that you can't build it when you need it. You know, you have to build the infrastructure before. And part of blanketing the media is getting the message out early, you know, being out there as a presence. So when an issue comes up in the media, they know to contact Lynn or Iptisan or myself or a member of WVRM to get that story. They're not searching because they know that we've been towing the ground for a while. And, and, we, and, and since we've got the experience working with EMM, we're the people that the media will turn to because they respect us and we'll get the right messages out as opposed to somebody else that, you know, they can't frame the message properly or they, they might dangerously uh, set us back. Yes. That's so important that the newspaper, uh, we have a couple of reporters we've worked with and we've invited them to every event uh, that we've had. And so if, if something happens on the national level and they want a quote for a local story, they know to call us and we can get the right information and the right message on the, the economic um, powerhouse that refugees can be, how refugees are safe and well vetted, those types of positive quotes for their story. That's so important. Um, and certainly I think that having really strong messaging makes it much more powerful when you go to have conversations on the Hill or you engage in advocacy work. So I'd love to turn it over to Lacey now to talk to you about the ways that you all have been engaged in advocacy. Thanks, Kendall, and thanks so much um, to the three of you for representing West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry so well on this call. And I'm excited to talk more about this because we've done some advocacy together. Um, Rabbi Yurecki, I've loved being in meetings with you with um, Senator Manchin's office. And I've really loved just watching the energy that you all have. And as Kendall mentioned, the great way that you link your messaging 
and your deep knowledge and understanding of the relationships that you have within your state and within your cities um, to the work of advocacy. Because I think it's been said a couple of times that I just want to reemphasize relationships are so key to anything that you do in advocacy. So, you know, as I said, y'all have really become kind of our shining star and, and, and excellent advocates. So I'm curious uh, to hear from you all, had you ever participated in advocacy uh, before being engaged with WVIRM and doing this work? And, you know, if you're speaking to someone who's never advocated before, could you share a short example of what advocacy is and why it's it's become critical to what you're doing? Well, I mean, I've, I've talked very briefly about that. The most important message I can tell anybody that's doing advocacy work when you when you go to a member of Congress is start with a thank you. They don't get thank yous. And by the way, we do the same thing with media, with anyone in the media. Thank them. They have a hard job. Um, I know they have to see us because we're constituents, but they are in the process of probably seeing 20 or 30 people a day. And they're being yelled at by everybody who has a position and they want people to change the position of the congressperson or the senator. The, when you go in and you start way, thank you so much for seeing us and we appreciate that opportunity to have this conversation. They appreciate that because it's a hard job. My daughter works in on the Hill and they are just beaten every single day. And that already changes that they want to hear what you have to say. As Iftisan says, people want to learn, especially the, um, the people that work for a senator or a congressperson. They want to learn and they're there for the right reasons. So we have a chance to give them the information that can move the needle maybe with the senator, maybe with a member of Congress. Um, also, it's important to understand when you get into a conversation with a member of Congress, or if you're more fortunate with their aides who really actually set policy, um, be prepared, come with a specific asks. So we always are told whenever we do advocacy work to ask for three things. One that you think you can get from them, something easy, maybe it's a letter, maybe it's something that you can set up an appointment with the senator or the congressman at a later date to come to the mosque or the church. That's something they can probably say, yeah, we can give you that. Then maybe there's a piece of legislation that you want them to look at that maybe they might consider. And then another one is the long ball. That's the one you're probably not going to get, but you kind of plant a seed for the future. And then once you tie it all together, you thank them, you write them a letter afterwards, regardless of how it went, thanking them for taking the time, making sure they identify you and a face, and then you become a contact. A piece of legislation will come to them one day, and they're saying, well, it's a refugee. Oh, we have somebody here from Charleston. Who was that? Oh, I better reach out to Iptasan and see what she thinks about this bill. Um, that's how you develop. Again, what you said earlier, Lacey, relationship building. Yes, and the, the thing I wanted to emphasize is you don't have to go it alone. We have worked so closely with uh, the, the local chapter of the ACLU, and when our state legislature is in session, they will communicate with us about bills. They will tell us, uh, get yourself a table at uh, Civil Rights Lobby Day, and they'll also point out what we like to call friendlies, and that's um, state representatives who might be more amenable 
to stopping uh, an anti-refugee bill or something at, at the state level. And uh, that is so useful. Uh, you know, we, we have other things that we do with our days, but the ACLU is generally up at the legislature every day and they can tell us there's a hearing going on. It's going to go on for six hours. We think that right around six o'clock, you want to get up here and get in the room. And even if you don't say anything, you want to be here, bring the rabbi, bring a priest with a collar, uh, bring it to some and just sit there at the hearing, it'll help. And so to get that kind of information texted to us is, is very, very helpful. They also tell us when to uh, get our people to call. And having local constituents call is important. At every one of our events, we have a list. We ask for people's emails if they want to give it to us. And then I can do an email blast telling people, please call representative so-and-so and just ask that they stop this bill. And uh, it, it matters. They keep track of how many yeses, how many noes they get in terms of calls. And we know when it's most effective because we have people who are helping us do this advocacy. So, so partnership. Uh, partnership is very important and humanizing that issue is also very important. Uh, once you explain to them the actual story, like an actual story of why do we want to bring refugees? We're trying to connect families. I have a mother-in-law who's in Syria and I can't bring her in. I have a sister who is sick and I can't bring her in. And when they hear these actual stories, they're human just like all of us. And so they, they become a little bit more involved and and they open their hearts because we start with opening minds and hearts and maybe the other way is better opening hearts and then opening minds but once you humanize the situation to them and we did have several occasions actually when these senators would call the, the Syrian community specifically because Syria was the hot topic for a while uh, with the war that's going on there they would ask tell us what's going on is it really true who do we believe do we believe uh, the Syrian government or do we believe the uh, the freedom fighters or whatever you want to call them so humanizing the situation and talking to them explaining to them it's very helpful to them and it's not just to them really advocacy reaching out and as the rabbi said the power of conversation you know my I started doing uh, advocacy on before this issue of the refugees only because I saw so much misinformation and misunderstanding about Islam. And it became my calling to say, wait a minute, if I can correct some of this misinformation to one person at a time, I'm doing good. And that's how I started, because I want to people to know about Islam from me, not what they hear from the rhetorics on the news, in the news media. I want them to come to me if they have a, a question about Islam and about Muslims. We're not all really scary. Come and talk to us. No question is beyond limit. Any question you want to ask, I'm more than happy to answer. So the power of conversation and advocacy is absolutely important. I think that's just so great. I love everything that y'all have said. And you know, in last week's webinar, and Lynn, you've seen me do this presentation before, but one of the things I talk about is go Cubs and using, you know, C, come prepared, U, use your story, B, build relationships, and S, start change, because it's that long-term, sometimes grinding uh, work that you're doing to engage. So I think you all have done that in a really beautiful way to rely on your stories and your personal journey 
and even to say, you know, Lynn, like what you were talking about at the beginning of why you even started engaging this at the beginning to say, even just, I saw this and as a person of faith, this angered me and made me upset to see that some human being would be, you know, in such pain and in such harm, what can we do about it? And that's why I'm here. And I also just, you know, the emphasis on relationships that y'all have done is not only just with members of Congress and your state legislature, your state house, but is also with the ACLU and other advocates, which I think is so smart um, to look around and see who else is doing that. And they've got, you know, kind of the time and the more focus to be up there. So I also just wonder, is there any, you know, one story or a couple stories about any great wins that y'all have had that you'd like to talk about or share for any specific, um, you know, things that you've, you achieved through all this groundwork that you laid? Well, I think one of our um, most fun victories was stopping something called the Anti-Absorptive Capacity Act, uh, which was a bill that just would have made our state look unfriendly to refugees by tracking them and tracking their health information. I don't even know if this bill is constitutional, but it would have been on the books if it passed. And we managed to slow it down in committees. And Rabbi was very effective on uh, getting us information on when and where. And we had a representative who was uh, a friendly, who was also saying, call this person, call that person. And we got help through uh, Episcopal Migration Ministries and through Church World Service. Local calls are the most effective. They do ask, what's your zip code? But we got people from West Virginia and outside West Virginia making calls and one representative's secretary answered the phone personally for each call, but she was on that phone all day and it really helped. And we, we managed to slow the bill down just enough and there were some procedural moves, and at the 11th hour on the last day, it died. I'm sure it'll be back this year, but for that for that moment, that bill uh, was killed. And so that, that was, I think, one of our most fun victories. That's a good victory. That's a really good one. And, and then there was a little fruit right after yeah. yeah, right after that, we, you know, again, we worked with the same group of people with uh, an anti-Sharia bill yeah. and also one that was trying to push the Bible, only the Bible, Bible. and not the Quran, not anything else in, in schools. Yes. But it was yeah. because of the networking that we developed. They helped us. We helped them. And it was a win all around. It, it was, was like a. So we had more than play. one success, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. That's good. And what's been the best way to build relationships? Has it been the in-person meetings? Has it been, you know, wider community engagement events? Or what have y'all found to be most successful as you're building your relationships? I think all three of them. I'd say all of the above. Yes. On all levels. On all levels federal and local. Even just this morning, I went for coffee and uh, ran into a state legislature and asked him what's coming up. So I just, yeah. I would live and breathe it, um, federal, state, and local. Get to know your city council members, get to know your mayor if you can. I think being present, every every occasion, I try to be at least, and the rabbi always says, do I not have anything else to do? <laughs> but I, I see it as my mission and my calling to be present. Uh, it's becoming a little bit more easy for 
people to look at me when they see me in any kind of a gathering or a function or situation and oh it's you yeah it's okay go on in it's okay so it's becoming more acceptable i'm not trying and i don't know if you can say i'm trying to normalize the issue that you know we're here to stay we're not going anywhere okay we're in the fabric of the united states and as muslims we're going to stay here we're not we got nowhere to go i've been here 45 years so uh just being present and participate and show real honest and sincerity that you really care about your community because we truly do care about community we work in soup kitchen uh, serving at mana meal we help the governance house we help the homeless we we do what we can to help our community because it is our community and we care for our community and our neighbors these are our neighbors and we are required by the teaching of our religion to care for them the success of our program also is when people see what WVIRM does, they associate the Episcopal Migration Ministry, the Absolutely. Episcopal Church. But the success of our program is if so many other people are involved in this group, it's not just the Episcopal Church, the mosque, synagogue, synagogue the yes. temple, people of so many different faiths. And that's the unusual thing that I think what Iptisan is, is kind of referring to. When people see Iptisan, they're associating it with a broad-based coalition, not an echo chamber of just the same old people. Oh, here they come again. This is a very broad group of people. Yeah, definitely the power in the visibility of the coalition is is really, really powerful. I think that's such a good point. Um, and I, you know, I'll just quickly say as we transition to question and answer that you know, some of the activities of the advocacy and the media that y'all have done, that, I will just say, it just scratches the surface. Um, you've done a lot in terms of also, um, you know, having public gatherings, vigils that really gathered a lot of people together, um, taking a bus to visit a detention center and, you know, widening out and making your voices heard and your visibility known on these issues, I think is just is just amazing um, and really that, you, that you've that you hung with it and that you're growing as you, as you go. So we are gonna transition to question and answer with the audience. So um, Allison, would you like to go ahead and offer a couple of questions that uh, you've received? Sure, and I, folks just please uh, type in your questions or email them to me at aduval at episcopalchurch.org and we will field them. Um, but we also just love talking with our friends from WBIRM, so we've got some questions to get, get this started. Um, one thing that I have always found so impressive and, and hopeful about WBIRM um, is that you all, you all have been through periods of significant discouragement, but somehow you, you come out of it. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit to, in this, time we're living in where so much of what we believe is being challenged, so much of what we hold dear and what we love is being harmed, how do you all work through discouragement? We, we do lean on each other. I, I think it takes a group to get through times like these. Sometimes when I'm down, Ibtissam will be hopeful. And when uh, she's feeling discouraged, uh, Rabbi will be hopeful or I'll be hopeful or someone else in the group will be able to, to soldier on. A and we have things that we do like our scholarship programs and getting you know, feedback, seeing our scholars do well uh, as refugees here in West Virginia, that can be uplifting. But I, I think we really lean on each other. 
Yeah, and I think also EMM. Uh, when we had the problem that we weren't going to be able to bring refugees, you all came yeah. to us because you knew mm -hmm. we were hurting, you were hurting, and you kind of put your arms around us and said, how can we help? And it, all it was is having a conversation. I remember I'm, I'm here, we're here at the synagogue, at B'nai Jacob Synagogue, and I could see the Episcopal offices. Yes. We met just across the street, yeah. and we just sat around and we just talked. And that we empowers talked and us. we cried. Yeah, mm -hmm. some of us we did yeah. relationship, and I think we share such a a strong love for helping others. And so uh, that I know I'm not alone when I'm feeling down. I can always call Lynn, uh, Rabbi, Marquita, uh, you know, and I know they're there to support me and help me, and as I will for them as well. Absolutely, and I I think. You, um, one thing that any any of our friends listening to this, um, if you're involved in this work of um, deep advocacy and community organizing and action in this time, it's so important to exercise self-care um, and care for those who are doing the work alongside you. And and yeah, we did sit around in a circle of Tissam and cry. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know I cried. I'm I mean, I don't, I'm not uh, ashamed to say it because we, we were broken hearted actually. And uh, uh, having this circle around and everybody together uh, was uh, such a help for all of us. Yes. Well, and having seen your smile, uh, <laughs> Allison, lift up anybody, trust me. Oh, that's sweet. Well, a lot of the folks listening to this, um, they they give us smiles and lift up us, us up as well. And while sure. Episcopal Migration Ministries is, you know, the Refugee Resettlement Agency of the Episcopal Church, we really are a ministry of the whole church. And none of the work that we do happens without people on the ground in communities wanting to make their communities places of welcome. And so for all of you listening to this, um, whether you're new to the Episcopal Migration Ministries family and work or or you've been part of it for a very long time, we're just so grateful for you all being part of it because we we can't do it alone. This is all of our work. This is the work of making um, America the place that we know it can be and that we deserve. Um, so I'm gonna see if, um, if my colleagues have any other questions, um, but we might wrap up a bit early. Lacey, do you have one? Yeah, I was just going to say, Lynn, you mentioned something to me earlier this year that you all are doing that I would love to hear you share a little bit, because I think um, so often the messaging and the advocacy is also woven in with just community education and engagement. And something that you all did that was really cool was about books and schools. And I won't say more than that, because I'd love if one of y'all would share about this um, initiative that you've done to, to weave in all of that, to really build that welcoming knowledge and community we have partnered with a local nonprofit called step by step and we have uh, worked with them they are developing a curriculum and they have some beautiful children's books one is called stepping stones and it's a lovely just visually appealing book for children about a refugee family's journey and so we have uh, been promoting the curriculum for use in sunday schools in schools uh in uh 
uh, just uh, after school programs, uh, vacation Bible school, so that children can learn about the refugee issue in a relatable, child appropriate way. And every time we are at an event, it's on our table. We have the books, we have the curriculum and the instructions for downloading it uh, for people, so, because we this is a way that we can reach more people. If Tassam, do you want to? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And so we even held readings of these books at school. We had used uh, some of our young volunteers to go into school uh, programs and read to the children, open their minds at a younger age, make them acceptable and less afraid of uh, the uh, refugee and the unknown. So that the book has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will continue to work with these school and with that step-by-step -step program to help uh, spread the word even further. And what's the name of the book again? It's the step-by-step -step program. Is that the same name as the Stepping book? Stepping Stone. The book is Stepping called Stone. Stepping Stone. Yes. Yeah, I know the the nonprofit organization is called Step-by-Step, -step, but the book is called Stepping Stone. Yeah. Great. Well, and I, I just love that because I, I think it's also so creative. Um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations over the past year and a half with congregations, if I'm speaking or just chatting with Episcopalians I run into who do this work. And, you know, they've said, we had this committee group and it was really excellent and everyone was really engaged, but we haven't had any refugee arrivals. We were prepared to welcome a family. Yeah. And, you know, I always say there is a lot to do. And I always mention all the things you all are doing. And I just think it's such a great example that we have so many assets, we have so many gifts as faith communities and with other, our interfaith partners to think creatively about how we could, uh, you know, expand that. So I just, I love that. I love that idea. Um, so thanks for sharing it. And I'll turn it um, now to Allison to, to transition us into, into wrapping up. Absolutely. Well, I'm actually going to turn it right back over to WBIRM. Um, Lynn and Rabbi Victor and Iftisam, if you'd like to talk to share with the audience how folks can learn more about your work and how they can support your work. Well, we have a website, website www.wbirm.com, and you can learn about our various events and programs. One signature event that we are doing right now is to fund scholarships. We, we have four scholars right now who are attending colleges in West Virginia. They have either refugee asylee or temporary protected status. They've been in West Virginia for at least a year and they are attending uh, college. We One wants to be a, a dentist, one wants to be a chemical engineer, and I think we have a couple pre-meds. So yes. they're, they're, they're working hard. They have uh, two or three part-time jobs besides a full load of, of difficult courses and uh, our scholarships can help make that a little bit easier and let them know that someone cares. So there is a, a if you go to the Episcopal uh, Diocese of West Virginia website, there's a button where that you can uh, push that says WBIRM if you'd like to donate to that. We're also helping uh, medical students who have fled Syria and are studying in uh, Turkey. So we have a, a number of things going on. Yes, absolutely. So there, any donation, any amount will be very helpful. Uh, we intend to continue with these scholarships and maybe add more because there is a tremendous need now. We know that SAMS, the Syrian American Medical Society, has uh, had 25 more students coming into Turkey accepted. These are 
medical students who were not unable to finish their degree in Syria, so they fled into Turkey. Turkey has accepted them in their medical school and they need to continue their work. And the only thing we can do is help. Well, right. I hope that folks will have, who have listened to this have not only gotten some ideas and learned about different ways you can be a force for welcome um, and inclusion in your communities in this time where so few refugees are coming into the country. Um, but this is one of those ways. How can you support um, refugee or asylee or other, or other category of immigrant students um, attend university in your state? How can you support refugees abroad? Um, so thank you all so much. And um, I hope folks listening make a trip to WVRM's website and make a donation at this gift giving time of year. A few things about how you can support Episcopal Migration Ministries work. Um, as you have heard from EMM, if you've been in touch with us for a while, as you heard in last week's, uh, last week's webinar, the need is dire right now. The infrastructure of refugee resettlement across the country has been impacted negatively as a result of the policies of this administration. But we have local partners all across the country who are still resettling refugees and they need your help and we need your help to support their work as well. Welcoming Refugees has always been a ministry of the whole Episcopal Church. We began this work more than 80 years ago when we were helping refugees who were fleeing Nazi Europe. We've met great need with great love before and we can do it again. So we hope that you'll stand strong with us to support refugees and make a gift. And this is really our shared ministry. Together we live into the holy call to welcome the stranger and serve the least of these. And with your help, we'll continue to welcome refugees to a place of safety and welcome. So stand for welcome and make your gift today. And you can do that by supporting this ministry of the entire church by a couple of opportunities to give securely online at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give. You can text EMM to one four, or excuse me, to four one four four four, or you can make a credit or debit card gift over the phone by calling eight hundred three three four seven six two six extension six two seven one, or even ask for special gift envelopes to be mailed to you. And thank you in advance because your gifts do so much. We also hope that you'll stay in touch and keep the lines of communication open with EMM and with my office, the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations and our grassroots network, the Episcopal Public Policy Network. There are many, many ways to connect us. So we have one more webinar and podcast in this Advent series. The webinar will air next Tuesday, December 18th at noon Eastern time. It's called Partners in Welcome join us on the way. And we are very excited that West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry is part of our Partners in Welcome Network. And we are slowly um, recruiting members to join this network. And we wanna tell you all about it next Tuesday. So if you have a ministry within your congregation, if you're part of a community organization, trying to figure out or taking um, active um, action right now to support refugees and immigrants, we really wanna to get to know you better. We'd love to feature you on just such a um, a presentation as we have today with our friends in West Virginia. So please join us next Tuesday, December 18th at noon Eastern time for Partners and Welcome. Join us on the way. 
We also have, we have an epiphany curriculum for adult Christian formation. So if you'd like to check this out, we'll have this linked in the follow-up email. It's a free resource. You just give us your email address. We send it right to you immediately. And you can start using that in epiphany season right after the 12 days of Christmas are over. We encourage you to listen to EMM's hometown podcast. And we hope many of you, um, as you hear this, are listening um, on your podcast to hear interviews with men and women resettled to the United States as refugees. To learn about history and current events surrounding the forced displacement crisis and reflections from across the church, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, and find episodes and additional material on our blog at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash blog. And I'd also like to invite you to join the Episcopal Church in advocacy around these issues and get as involved and engaged as WVRM so beautifully is. You can join the Episcopal Public Policy Network to stay informed about immigration and refugee policies and write to your members of Congress directly to say that your community welcomes refugees and immigrants. Our site is advocacy.episcopalchurch.org and we hope you join today. And to conclude our time together today, I'd love to ask our friend Ibtisam Barazi to offer a closing prayer. Ibtisam? Thank you. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim in the name of the God, the merciful. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. O Almighty God, you are the peace and from you is the peace. Tabarakta ya dal jalali wal ikram. Blessed on you, the, the possessor of majesty. And for he who has more beautiful word than the one who calls to Allah for help and does a good deed. And for those who, and who says, I am the one of the devoted to him, good and evil cannot be equal. Repel evil with good deed. O oh Lord, bless all the people who work to help the less fortunate, the weak, the strange, and the poor. Grant them the gift of compassion and mercy, for you are the greatest giver of gifts. O oh Allah, O oh God, we thank you for bringing everyone here together in this conference. Oh Allah, we ask you to guide them in their effort to help the refugees and everyone who is oppressed. Oh Allah, we ask you to put barakah, blessing in their work, aid them and bless them with love, mercy and compassion. For you Allah is all the hearing and all knowing. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you, Rabbi Victor, Lynn, and Ibtissam for joining us from West Virginia. If you'd like to be in touch with EMM, you can see there we are EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org. You can find us on social media at EMM Refugees. And then the Episcopal Public Policy Network you can find at Advocacy.EpiscopalChurch.org on social media at the EPPN. We wish blessings on your path in your Advent journey and blessings on our Abrahamic brothers and sisters all across the country and the world. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll be with you again next week. Blessings and goodbye.